welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast. Stand Up sits down with contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world so that you don't have to and separate fact from fiction so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So let's get on with the show. All right, so today on the show, New Zealand parents lose control over their baby's health care after court ruling. What does this mean for all of us going forward? Experts not quite sure what is causing 30% increase in all-cause mortality in 2022. Globalist maniacs in Oxford County, UK, plan a climate lockdown in 2024. Is this a trial for something larger? And finally, in the middle of a food crisis, the Dutch government shuts down 3,000 farms to meet strict climate targets. This week, we'll be sitting down again with Robin Shooter to discuss the clown world we live in. How are you, Robin? What's been happening in Robin's world this week? I, I am well. All is uh, all is well in my world because I spend a good deal of time outdoors, <laughs> ignoring media as much as I possibly can. Yeah, good move. Good move. <laughs> I have to say it's been getting to me a little bit the last couple of weeks and I think it's starting to affect, affect my energy levels quite a lot. So I need to take oh, a... Look, it, uh, it affects my sanity if I spend too too long, you know, delving right into this. It's, it really is clown world. That is that is the, the right way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so any, any other news you've got before we start the show today? Oh, let's see. Um I, I caught a little bit of the Ron Johnson hearing, the, the Senate hearing in the US. Um, oh, yeah, that looked interesting. About three hours, yeah, so I'm only about an hour into it, but really sort of short, sharp to the point presentations from, you know, all the all the people we've come to know and love, McCulloch and, and uh, Paul Marek and uh, Pierre Corey and really, really just, it, it's powerful stuff to have all of these sound bites from all of these people just laid end to end in this three-hour information deluge that leaves you wondering how in the heck is there any human being left on earth with two functioning brain cells who still believes the narrative? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But that sounds like something I'm, I'm going to have to listen to and I'm sure you'll probably write something interesting on it as well. I hope so. Yep. All right, let's get stuck into the first story tonight. So this is from The Guardian, um, and I can assume that people will be following this story because it's been pretty big around the world. But health officials gain guardianship of a baby whose parents refused vaccinated blood transfusion. So this is going on from the story of the last couple of weeks with a, a family in New Zealand demanding, um, which they should be able to, unvaccinated blood for their baby who is not as they say, is not in a critical condition, but does need the surgery sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, so the High Court has ruled in favour of health authorities who sought guardianship of a baby boy after his parents refused to consent to a transfusion of vaccinated blood in a life-saving operation. So the landmark decision delivered on Thursday is expected to have wide-ranging ramifications has become the focus of protests for anti-vaxxers who held demonstrations outside the courtroom. So he's just he's not being given to the authorities. He's basically in the hospital and he's not allowed to leave the hospital now until mm. he gets the gets the transfusion. Um, 
this is quite interesting to me because this um, has really set off my alarm bells quite a lot as a parent. Something I've known for quite a while is we don't own our children. The state owns our children. This, this is the, the real take-home message from this decision. And as if we haven't had it round in our faces enough with outrages like the Victorian legislation where if your child decides that he is a she or she is a he um, and, and you actually disagree with this and think that your child might be caught up in some sort of social contagion rather than genuinely you know, being transgender, well, too bad. The state can actually take your child away from you and you know, allow your child to be treated in inverted commas by, by doctors who will administer cross-sex hormones and, and even go so far as to lop your daughter's healthy breasts off and lop your daughter, your, your son's healthy penis off and do all sorts of, of you know horrid and disgusting things. And you don't have the authority to stop them. So this is this is really just the latest blow in in a whole series of, of such blows to to the the uh, ability of parents to make decisions on behalf of their children. I think it's incredibly noteworthy in this case. Um, and let, let me just contrast this for a moment. There, there, is, a, there is a standing um, there is a standing principle, at least under Australian law, and I presume it's the same in New Zealand, that say in the case of a child who has, who has cancer, who has a treatable cancer, where there's a better than 50% chance that if that child has, uh, has the treatment for cancer, but the parents decline it, the state can actually, you know, take over the child, you know, remove the, the child from the parent's custody and administer, uh, say, chemotherapy against the parent's will. Um, and, you, you know, you can argue about whether that is appropriate or not. But in this particular case, the parents have not declined the surgery. The parents want baby Will to have the surgery. They consent to the surgery. What they don't or what they haven't consented to is baby Will receiving blood from the general pool, which is just guaranteed to have, you know, remnants of mRNA and, and uh, will probably spike protein rather than mRNA, although both could be possible, actually. Mm. Um, and, and, of course, their concern about it is based on a, it's based on a case where, you know, a, a baby who was transfused in a U.S. hospital, I, I think it might have been um, baby Nick, um, and, and this, this kid became seriously ill. The, the hospital in question, the hospital that administered that, that transfusion to this American baby has actually scrubbed his records so that no one can find evidence of this. And this is how the doctors in New Zealand can claim, oh, there's no evidence that, you know, transfusing your, your baby with blood from the general pool uh, that, that contains blood of vaccinated people um, could be harmful. Yeah, they can say that there's no evidence because the evidence has been scrubbed. Yeah, it's um, quite crazy that they can <laughs> basically admit that it's been scrubbed and there's been no action towards the hospital. If that was any other case, mm. they'd be raked over the coals by the authorities. But this, this for me, like it's a real, it's a real double header. This one because it attacks two things: it's the vaccine issue and it's the who owns your children issue. Mm. With the vaccine issue here, obviously, it's in the government's interest to not let them have vaccinated, unvaccinated blood because that. If they let them have it, they'd be admitting that there's a problem. Yes. My understanding is that they were afraid that this would open the floodgates and there would be people everywhere saying, well, I want unvaccinated blood and that um, 
I, I, look, to be honest, to me, this is really clear evidence that socialised medicine is the basic problem here. If mm. you have the state running healthcare, if you have institutions like the New Zealand Blood Service existing as a monopoly rather than there being a free enterprise system where, for instance, you know, people who wanted to could set up a, a, a blood bank, they could bank their own blood, they could bank blood on behalf of their loved ones or so forth. If there was some sort of alternative um, to the, the government monopoly, or that is if there was not a government monopoly, then Baby Will's parents would not be in this situation. So, you know, we've been sold in Australia, as in other um, yeah, former, former Commonwealth countries, on this idea that, that uh, uh, universal healthcare is a right, that it's a, it's a service that the state provides to us, and that that's a marker of a civilised society. Well, this is the natural outcome of having the state monopolising the provision of healthcare services. Yeah, and it's, it's ridiculous as well. The reason they give here is, you know, they, the health authorities and blood service argued the allowing their parents to receive vaccinated blood would set a dangerous precedent in which parents could demand to pick and choose where their blood came from. Oh, what a shocking thing. What a that terrible some, thing. Someone could choose where their blood came from. Yes, rather, rather than being ordered to accept uh, the, you know, the blood that was available, again, through this monopoly service. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it tells you so much about the fundamental attitude of these people that they actually present that as an argument. Oh, no, if we let them do it, then everyone will want choice. Everyone will want choice. Oh, my God. You can't well, have choice. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have choice. No, no. The government tells you this is the blood, you know, have this blood or die. We don't care. Yep. Can't have that in clown world, can we? Mm-mm. But the Guardian's, of course, the Guardian, like a pretty much carbon copy of every other article about vaccines in every mainstream newspaper in the world is vaccines to prevent severe disease and death from COVID-19 have been found to be extremely safe and effective. <laughs> millions of people around the world vaccinated. Let's throw that in the bottom. But I've got some good news here. I really want to just sort of like throw in some good news. Um, the parents have come out and made a statement after this and they've said we have concluded that the government cannot afford anything to go wrong for baby w baby w sorry as the world is watching he's likely to get the best possible care with the best safest blood so i think it's that funny. they said, might think that he might get unvaccinated blood anyway, i said to my does. husband last night when i when i read the update you know what i bet that they will source you know, clean blood. They will sort yeah. blood from an unvaccinated donor just to make sure that this kid, this poor kid doesn't get sicker or doesn't die so that they can say to the rest of the public, look, you know, the blood supply is perfectly safe. So <laughs> because we'll never know unless there's a whistleblower. Um, yeah. <laughs> Calling all whistleblowers, step forward, please. Now's your chance. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be interesting to see what happens. We obviously, nobody wants to see anything bad happen to the baby. Um, no, of but course. I mean the baby yeah. is paramount, but but I mean just how disgusting that this this poor little child is is uh, the 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 chew toy of all of these different um, authorities. You know, yep. yeah, it's uh, it's just disgusting. I I cannot even begin to imagine what the parents are going through right now, being kept away from their child. Yeah, I know it'd be horrible. It just makes my blood boil. Anything to do with. Um children like that it's just yeah that's <laughs> but uh there's another piece of good news here is a non-profit blood donation service starts matching unvaccinated patients with donors so this is um a swiss 
a Swiss naturopathic physician, George Della Pietra, who's setting up blood banks, set one up in the US already, and um, they're looking at another 65 countries. So this is a, what you're saying. This is a private enterprise. Yes. Is this the safe blood? Safe blood that you're talking about? Safe blood. Um, yeah, yeah. Safe blood donation service. Yep. Yes. So that was in 2021. They set that up. Yes, uh, a free enterprise solution. I'm all for it. Yep, yep. Yeah, we, we can do it without the government. Mm. Yep. All right, so on to our next story. Um, now, this is links quite in, in quite closely with the controversy of the last story, as do most of our stories, actually, to be honest. Um, experts are not quite sure what's causing the 13% increase in all-cause mortality. So this comes from news.com.au. It's incredible. They've been said to say it's incredibly high at 13%. So during the 2017 flu influenza wave, which was quite a big influenza wave. It was um, a bad year for flu that yeah. year. It was an unusually large toll. Yeah. That, that came in at 1% mm. excess mortality. Mm. We're now sitting at 13%. Yes, it's important to to remember too that that one percent excess mortality. Um, look, flu flu tends to kill people who are close to death anyway. Um, yes, that's very sad, and all deaths are, are sad, and 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 people mourn their loved ones. But the fact is, unless you are very elderly and and frail and or younger, but uh, but but you know pretty seriously sick, flu ain't going to kill you, and so. What happens with, with influenza deaths is they abbreviate the lives of people who probably only would have had another, say, six months to a year of lifespan if they had not got the flu at that particular time. So what we're looking at with this 13% increased mortality is, the, this is these are people who should have had many more years of life left. Yes, it's, it's huge. And, like, in, this, in these deaths, there's another 18,671 deaths in the year. So they're already attributing 7,727 to COVID, which is it's just false because these 7,727 work included in the total mortality, not the excess mortality, as they were saying. So they're doing some funny stuff in this article here to, to try and attribute the half of the mortality with that. Um, and as you say, well, uh, just I mean, just to clarify, excess mortality means deaths above what would be expected. Yeah. For yep. that population at that in that time frame, um, remembering of course that so many of those deaths that that is that that are labelled as COVID COVID deaths are deaths either with COVID that is the person had cancer or um, some other serious disease and once again you know they had a limited lifespan anyway it just so happens that they had COVID at the time of death and maybe it accelerated their death there's also as you and all of our listeners know perfectly well there is a huge chunk of those deaths where the person may be tested positive for, for SARS-CoV-2 maybe not with a test that that you know the the inventor of that test of course you know Kari Mullis having said hey you should not use my PCR test to diagnose illness with anything it just detects the presence of a virus it doesn't tell you whether that virus has actually contributed to any of the symptoms that you're experiencing so you know what percentage of, of so-called COVID deaths really had nothing to do with COVID we, we don't know because the whole um, criteria for assessing cause of death and for 
um, and, and, and for stating the cause of death on, de on death certificates was changed in Australia as in other countries throughout the world only for COVID and, and not for other viral respiratory diseases like flu. But sorry, yes. I interrupted you. Go on. No, 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 no. It's good to get that clarification there. But, you know, and as you were saying earlier, the, it, generally these uh, respiratory diseases, these uh, influenza and COVID, they knock over people that are close to death's door anyway. This is one of the excuses they're giving for the excess mortality. They're saying, oh, it's obviously COVID or it's, you know, undisclosed COVID. It's, you know, we haven't found that it was COVID, but it was obviously COVID anyway. You know, people, people stayed inside for 2020 and, you know, a bit of 2021. So they've come out now and they should have died in 2020, but now they're dying now. And that's, to, that's why the excess mortality is there. But um, this, you know, you could say this checks out because deaths due to dementia are up 18.9%, diabetes 20.8%, cancer is up 6.1%, and heart disease is up 3.3%, according to ABS data. Um, these are diseases of the elderly mm. a lot of the time, but they're also easy to pass off these deaths as someone who has dementia or cancer or diabetes when something else knocks them over, like, you know, maybe like a mystery um, jab that everybody's been given well, if recently. We, if we look at each of those diseases that the ABS is, is attributing the, the extra mortality to, cardiovascular disease, well, what are the risk factors for, for a, a cardiovascular death? Abnormal blood clotting. So we know that the, um, the mystery jabs uh, uh, cause abnormal blood clotting. They also cause damage to the endothelium, the inner lining of the blood vessels, which again, um, endothelial damage is a major contributing factor to heart attack and sudden cardiac death and to, and to dementia for that matter. Cancer. Well, we've got uh, the US pathologist Ryan Cole um, reporting on a dramatic increase in the number of cancer diagnoses that, that he's making in his pathology lab. And many oncologists throughout the world reporting an upswing in, in what has become known as turbo cancers. So cancers that just appear out of nowhere, where a person is apparently well, and then they're diagnosed with cancer, and a couple of weeks or months later, they're dead. Mm, yeah, yeah, I have heard about that. That's <laughs> scary stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's absolutely terrifying. And obviously, there there needs to be uh, a lot of study put into what is causing these deaths, but we we just it's 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 obvious from the get go that one of the things that needs to be studied, which is what is the vaccination status of the people who are dying, that's not going to be on the table. I mean, good luck getting a research grant to to study these causes of death if you are going to, if you as the researcher are going to put on your grant, oh, by the way, I'm going to check out, you know, the vaccination status of, of you know, the people who died. <laughs> no grant for you, Sonny Jim. And yeah. if you can't get the grant, you can't do the research. Yeah, that would be unfair to ask that question. You know, you can only ask that when you're going into a restaurant to sit down. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> then your medical status uh, is is uh, able to be known by all and sundry. But it's okay because the TGA has come out and said that uh, there's zero evidence that vaccines are causing these deaths, as far as I'm concerned. But I cannot prove it. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe they should hold the telescope up to their good eye. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. They're not causing it because I said so. But don't look it up. <laughs> yes, we don't even need to study it because we already know that that's not the cause. You see, <laughs> because science registered. Yes, yes, and we don't get any funding for that study. So yeah, mm. as you said. So our third story for the night, and uh, things keep getting a little bit more just dystopian. We have to. I have to the heading in this uh on this episode is the dystopian episode because uh the globalist maniacs at oxford county uk are planning to introduce a trial climate lockdown in 2024 so uh oxford county um council is going to trial a scheme whereby the residents of the city are divided into six zones with movement by car between the zones restricted to to 100 trips per year (laughs) Mm. Mm. Well, we, we had a heads up on the linkage between the COVID manufactured crisis and the manufactured climate crisis from everyone's you know, favourite Bond villain himself, Klaus Schwab, who was already talking about climate lockdowns uh, through his you know, GABFest, the, w, the, the World Economic Forum. He was already talking about this, um, if I recall correctly, probably about mid-2020 when um, he, among other luminaries, <laughs> I use the word very, very um, ironically, of course, Com- um, made, made the point, which was subsequently proven to be wrong, of course, that the, the COVID lockdowns had actually resulted in all of these environmental benefits, um, including, for example, reduced carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, emissions. It turned out that, uh, subsequently that that was not in fact the case, that mm. emissions didn't drop. <laughs> there was no environmental benefit. And of course, now we've ended up with environmental harm because there's a whole bunch of filthy face masks, you know, being flushed down, down drains and ending up in in waterways anyway i digress um so yes the there's certainly a strong argument to be made that the climate crisis wasn't generating enough fear in the public to be used as the battering ram to actually you know ram through these these changes in the governance system whereby national sovereignty is overridden and we go into this kind of one world government so um, if you go back to the the documents of the club of rome you know they were saying back back in the 70s hey you know we've been looking around for like a common enemy um some big boogeyman that we can say hey look over there that's the big threat that's what we have to unite against and and we we looked around and um and we figured okay climate um the environment back then it was it was you know global warming which of course subsequently got a rebrand. Um, the language, of course, in that in in their founding document, um, which I can't remember whether the limits to growth was was the founding document of the Club of Rome or whether it was the first global uh, revolution. It was one of the two. But they basically said, uh, "So we found the enemy of man, and it is man. Okay, it's it, it's us. Um, yeah. It's the human species. We've got to tell all the humans that." that it's the human race itself which is the enemy of itself and the enemy of mother earth and so we've got to get everyone on board with this idea that humans are raping and pillaging the earth okay now there is actually a lot of damage that's being done by humans to to the earth there's a lot of pollution um 
there's there's you know, topsoil erosion through inappropriate agriculture. There, there's all sorts of horrid things that humans are doing to the earth. Um, causing climate change is, or, or certainly climate change that that is likely to cause catastrophe is probably not one of those activities that humans are responsible for. Yes. But, so they tried to gin up the, the fear and loathing about climate. And it wasn't really getting anywhere because you just couldn't see the dead bodies in the streets, you know. Like we, we were told that, that I mean, remember Al Gore um, t- telling us that New York was going to be underwater by, when was that supposed to be, like the early 2000s or, or, or something like that. Yeah. And we were told that entire Pacific Island chains were, were going to disappear under the under the sea and all this sort of thing. And the, the Maldives. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Maldives were going to disappear and all the polar bears were going to run out of ice. And then, of course, it turns out that the Pacific Islands are still there and the polar bears are doing, doing just dandy. <laughs> In fact, yeah. their numbers are exploding and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so there was this rapid pivot to, to the, the COVID crisis. And then once it was established, I mean, to me, the, the authoritarian response to the emergence of this novel respiratory virus was, was basically uh, to establish proof of concept. Can you get people to do things that are against their own interest if you sell them a narrative that says this is the morally right thing to do, stay home to save lives, um, you, you know, don't, don't hug grandma because you might kill her. In other words, can you get people to do fundamentally anti-human things if you sell them a strong enough story? And the answer apparently was yes. You can get people to do incredibly anti-human and self-destructive and, and economically destructive things um, if you spin a, a convincing enough story with the help of the, of the captive media, of course. And now that there's this proof of concept, they're just repurposing it. Okay, let's, let's, let's switch back. You know, the, the, the virus thing is running out of steam. People are just, you know, they, they've got COVID fatigue. Great. Okay, fine. Let's switch story. We're going back to climate now. It's exactly, if you remember the, the Project Veritas, um, um, the, the interview that, that one of their undercover reporters got with, uh, what was his name? Um, technical director of CNN. Charlie, his name will, last name will come to yeah, me in a moment. I know the guy you're talking about. I can't remember the name though. Yeah, and, and he said to his date, who I'm imagining was a, was a pretty hot chick in order to elicit this information from him, um, <laughs> he, he said to this girl, well, you know, COVID was, has been a real real ratings winner for CNN. Charlie Chester, that's his name. Um, you, you can find, find this on um, Project Veritas' website. So, so Charlie Chester says, says to this um, dislikely lass, uh, well, yes, COVID's been a real ratings winner for CNN, but it's kind of running out of steam, and so we're going to be switching back to climate. I mean... <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's right there. They don't hide it. You know, it's a conspiracy, but it's an open conspiracy, right? You don't have to do much conspiracy theorizing when they actually say it. I uh, know. It, it's crazy that people actually still watch these shows and it, believe what they hear. Hardly anyone does. I mean, CNN's ratings are down the toilet. But... Yeah, CNN is down the toilet. And the, you know, as they've run multiple sort of polls on who believes this trollop anymore like and people say they don't but at the same time i still see you know social media awash with falsities you know you see people just jump on the next bandwagon even people that were you know against all the lockdowns and everything 
seeing them jump on the Ukraine thing or without doing any. Bells in the blue and yellow flag and Putin bad. And I mean, you know, it's not that I think Putin's good, mind you, but Putin bad. Yeah. Zelensky also bad, (laughs) like corrupt as heck. Yeah. It's just a swamp, an absolute sewer of corruption. It's been known for years. It's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. So I'll just read you a little bit uh, of this article here, Robin. Um, So it says, Oxfordshire County um, yesterday approved plans to lock residents into one of six zones to save the planet from global warming. The latest stage in the 15-minute city agenda is is to place electronic gates on key roads in and out of the city, confining residents to their own neighbourhoods. Under the new scheme, if residents want to leave their zone, they will need permission from the council who gets to decide who is worthy of freedom and who isn't. Under the new scheme, residents will be allowed to leave their zone a maximum of 100 days per year, but in order to even gain this, every resident will have to register their car details with the council, who will then track their movements via smart cameras around the city. Now, what does this sound like? What um, what country does this sound like? Oh, I don't know. It starts with C and ends with A, and they're having riots all over it right now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, what do we get, you know, talking heads like Justin Trudeau saying, oh, I think that... that, that that um, people have the right to protest, except if they happen to be Canadian truckers, in which case they're racist, misogynist bigots and you need to, you know, unleash the the full weight of the law um, on them. He's also also said that he admires the authoritarian nature of the Chinese system. What do they call it? Their their, their, um, their basic basic dictatorship. Yeah, basic. Basic dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> I admire their basic dictatorship. Oh, good on you, Justin. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Apparently, your dad, that is, you know, your probable real dad, um, he kind of favored that too. He loved it. But we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, apparently, Oxfordshire City Council uh, is run by Labour, the Liberal Democrats, and the Green Party. That's um, what a big surprise. Unusual. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, this obviously is uh, 2024, but I can see this being brought in sooner rather than later around the world. Um, well, Brisbane's with... apparently already signed up for this 15-minute cities idea, and so is Melbourne. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So yeah. This, this is already in the works, and frankly, it's just going to be a real test. Will people put up with this? I mean, the appropriate response to this is for the people of Oxford to throw these idiots out. Yes. Yeah. To, and, and not even wait for the next election, but but just, you know, sit outside the council chambers and, and, and protest, go into the council chambers and, you know, demand that elections be called because, you know, no one, none, none of those, none of the people of Oxford actually voted for this. I'm sure that this wasn't a policy platform for whoever, you know, currently is running the, the Oxfordshire Council. No, this is a university town too, isn't it? Yes, yes, which unfortunately means that they probably have a really compliant population who, who have actually bought into all this nonsense. But, uh, yes, coming to a town near you unless you and your neighbours uh, and your friends stand up against this. Well, seeing the Chinese really um, to stand up over the last couple of weeks has been pretty amazing to see considering, yeah. you know, the stakes are very high there. You get caught, you disappear unbelievably high i mean when when you get to the point where in a totalitarian regime like china where yes you you will be 
uh, disappeared if you protest. When you see hundreds of thousands of people in towns and cities all throughout China, literally risking their lives. I, you know that something big has happened. And, of course, there's so little coverage of this on the lamestream media. They oh, don't want is. you to know that the people of China have had enough of zero COVID nonsense and they're really, you know, rattling the bars, quite, quite literally rattling the bars of their cages. Yeah, certainly are so much that they're, um, they've decided to roll back a lot of this zero COVID stuff. Yes, yes, mm. and that I mean, Xi Jinping is not the kind of person who who changes his mind lightly. So they're worried, and I'm glad they're worried. That government yep. should be scared of their people, and not the other way around. Well, I'd be scared of 1.3 billion Chinese people as well. That's a heck of a lot of people. That's yeah. It, it is, I mean, it really is astonishing how so many people are held in check. I mean, you know, China's got a decent-sized military, but my understanding of it is, is it's nowhere near the size of the US military. So how do you maintain such tight control over that many people? Well, it, it, it takes a lot of conditioning. And when that spell starts to break, I mean, when, when people get to the point where they're, they're starving, they're locked in their homes, uh, they're dying, like, like what happened in that apartment complex where, um, the, where, where, well, the government said, I think, you know, 10 people burned to death and in reality it was more like 20 or something um, because they'd been locked in their apartments. It was 40, I think, actually, yeah. 40. There you go, yeah. right, right, yeah. yes. Um, so when when people realise, no, the government's not your friend and this whole idea that if you just go along, you'll, you'll get along, turns out to be really, really wrong. Yeah, 1.3 billion people can really make some trouble for you. Yeah, people will be compliant as long as they're stupid and comfortable. As soon as that comfortable part goes, then there's going to be problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And boy, does it take resources to crush dissent in that many people. Like that's a that's an, an enormously expensive undertaking on the part of any government, not just expensive in terms of, of you know, money and resources, um, but, but in terms of political capital. You know, you, you're going to spend all your political capital if you uh, ruthlessly suppress the dissent in, across that many, you know, uh, different cities and towns in China. Yeah, it's got to be tiring. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Haven't they got better things to do? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pick another hobby, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Crummy, I don't know. Gardening, <laughs> that'd be nice. <laughs> All right, so the last story tonight, and this is keeping in the global warming climate change theme, um, up to 3,000 peak polluters given last chance to close by a Dutch government. This is from The Guardian calling them peak polluters, which are farmers. Um, I'm a little bit torn on this, actually, to be honest with you, because one reason, nitrogen. Nitrogen is the issue here. Nitrogen is not, especially synthetic nitrogen, um, is not a good thing for the land. We were talking earlier about, about um, you know, destroying topsoil and the environment. This is one of the ways to do it. Mm. The, one, the thing I don't agree with here is the way they're going about it. You can't just say do it a different way right now or lose your farm. Absolutely. Um, my understanding is that the, the Dutch farmers have just bent over backwards to try to comply with, with government requirements. But
but the government just keeps on changing the rules. And so the Dutch farmers have, you know, spent oodles of money and changed their practices in order to comply in order to comply with one set of rules. And then the government says, well, actually, no, that's not enough. We're also changing these rules and you have to comply with the, with, with, with the new rules. So the, the government is obviously making it impossible for farmers to farm. Now, you know, is it a good idea to, to farm animals as intensively as they do in the Netherlands? Well, you know, I, I don't think so. Um, that there, there are uh, environmental consequences of doing that. There are animal welfare issues as well of, of raising animals as, as intensively. But yes, it, it is it is ridiculous. It is it is obscene to be throwing farmers off their land. You know, depriving them of their livelihoods at this uh, number one without giving them an appropriate time frame and appropriate support to to change their practices, and number two at a time when the world is is in the midst of a food crisis, which yeah, no yeah. one denies. No one denies that there's a food crisis. Why are they shutting down farms in the midst of a food crisis? Yeah, especially in a place like um, the Netherlands, which is one of the biggest food producers in the world. Tiny, like a handkerchief-sized country that is the second largest exporter of ag- agricultural um, pro- uh, products, I believe. So, yeah. Just something completely disproportionate to their tiny size. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And like you see these these countries that are really getting targeted now, like uh, Ukraine, for one. I know, like I run a, I run a cafe and we use um, corn flour. You can't get that corn flour at the moment because it's grown in Ukraine. Apparently, they they're the corn flour mafia over there. So yeah, the um, of Europe. Yeah, yeah. So little things like this seems really targeted to just destroy the food supply and destroy the I don't know, either the faith in governments around the world or just to destroy people's will. I I think it really is a global project of immiseration to just make people as poor and miserable as is humanly possible, to manoeuvre them into a position where, where you dangle that carrot of universal basic income, of course, paid in central bank digital currency. People are going to be miserable and hopeless enough to say, oh, okay then. Yep. Yep. See, these, this government wants the farmers to either get rid of their farms, change, or um, get their cows eating grass, which you know, is, you know, it should be eating grass anyway. But I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy, Will Harris from White Oak Pastures, which is a farm in the United States. He's got like one of the, the greatest, um, I guess, what do they call it again? Um, I don't know. So I'm just going to say integrated farming or something like that. But it's a lot better system. But the thing about this, it took him 20 years to change his farm from a family-run farm to something where he could have a sustainable system on his farm. You can't do this in three years like they're asking him to do. So they know this. Absolutely. The other thing is, of course, that, that, I mean, he's doing that in the US where they have enormous land area. The Netherlands does not have that land area. These farmers can't transition their cows over to to grazing. Um, They are going to have to to cull their herds. Now, um, so 
look, full disclosure here, um, I'm actually an ethical vegan and I'd be happy if, you know, more people ate fewer animal products and, and more plants. I, you, the thing is you can't actually feed the population of Earth on the amount of meat that is currently eaten by people in, in Western countries. Um, if you are going to use grass-fed pasture systems, we don't have land area. So whichever way you slice or dice it, pardon the pun, um, if people want to, to eat free range, you know, um, pasture-fed um, animals, they're going to have to eat a hell of a lot less meat because otherwise we are going to have to destroy rainforests to run the beef cattle. And then, of course, you know, that, that destroyed rainforest land is, is, is not fertile for very long at all. So yeah, yeah. it does need to be a major shift in people's eating habits, but the way to achieve that is not through these these heavy-handed Gestapo tactics that that the the Dutch government is 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 inflicting um, on their own farmers, on this you know incredibly profitable industry. Yeah, and I know they're doing similar things in, in New Zealand at the moment as well, which is a it's a rich history of of dairy farming. Mm. Um, and look, they, they do have really serious um, issues with river pollution in New Zealand because of that, because of that. And we're talking about grazing. You know, um, New Zealand doesn't have intensive animal farming the way they do in the Netherlands, and they still have massive nitrogen pollution in rivers. So, so you know, there, there, are, there are problems, but those problems should be uh, worked on collaboratively with farmers rather than this top-down command and control, you do what we say, you know, or, or we'll confiscate your land. That's just, you know, that's not how a free society works. No, it's certainly not. And there's certainly something that does need to be done. I think we both agree there on mm -hmm. this issue with nitrogen, but this is not the way. And when you dig further into it as well, you find that the, the Dutch government plans on building housing for migrants on a lot of this land. So, um, yeah. yeah, are yeah, they trying to save the planet, or are they a city um, in in the place where there are currently farms? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just wanted to say too that you know we saw what happened in Sri Lanka when the government, you know, pretty much in order to curry favour with with the powers that shouldn't be, um, abruptly cut off imports of nitrogen fertilisers, and of course you know, and, and they were promoting organic agriculture to their farmers, what happened? There were famines. You can't abruptly switch from nitrogen fertiliser to organic methods in, in just in one season, in one growing season. Farmers need time. They need time to, to learn um, uh, methods of natural crop management, including fertilisation. They need time to build up the, the, the health and the productivity of their soil. And when these changes are rushed through, disaster occurs. And, and it was those famines, of course, that led to the collapse of the government of Sri Lanka. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like telling someone who's uh, a chef or something that they go, have to go be a doctor now. Mm -hmm. you know, it's a complete change of job. It's like, well, we've been, we've been growing our food like this for years. It may not be the right way to do it, which it wasn't, but, you know, organic farming is fantastic when you know how to do it and you've had experience for 10 years to do it. Yeah, you, you, need, you need people to show you how to do it and you need time to transition from your current growing methods to organic or, um, or, or you know, even better um, regenerative farming or growing practices. Definitely, definitely. Well, that was a pretty depressing um <laughs> <laughs> conversation robert we should have some good news to, to wrap up shouldn't we <laughs> uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna try and do a good news episode for Christmas, I reckon, because oh, I think we definitely need yeah. a good news episode yeah. for, for for Christmas. I mean, okay, so a little bit of good news. I I did I did hear today while I was listening to the to the James Corbett's um, podcast. I did hear that apparently the uh, the hearing in Canada that went on um, uh, like to to examine the uh, declaration of the um, or the invocation of the the emergency uh, the the emergency whatever it was that yeah. to, to to throw the truckers out um, so the the public inquiry has actually wrapped up and apparently the the presiding officer was actually pretty um, pretty balanced and uh, and and the and most of the police testified that they actually didn't need those emergency measures, that there really wasn't an emergency, that existing legislation was was more than sufficient for them to, to carry out their job of policing. And so anyway, I mean, it's, it's reassuring to me that the entire judicial system in, in Canada is not completely rigged. Because <laughs> you yep. At times, you do wonder. So, anyway, yeah. the, the 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 ruling, or you know, the findings haven't been um, handed down yet. But you know, fingers crossed, it'll actually be a, a good slap on the wrist for um, for Justin. Yes, I think so. I think he's ruffled a few feathers over there. Yes, doesn't seem like Mister Popularity anymore. No, no. When the uh, the wolf sort of comes out of the sheep's clothing, it's hard to see <laughs> the sheep anymore, isn't it? So. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Mm. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us tonight. And um, had a bit of a rain delay there, like in the cricket, but uh, we got there eventually. So um, our water tanks are topped up, and my fruit trees are happy. So yeah, I think they're probably filled up in a matter of minutes there. So, yeah. <laughs> All turned out well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the rest of the crazy weather up there, and we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Looking forward to it. <laughs> See you, Robin. Bye. Okay, bye.